0: I wish I knew that there were other people out there like me having the same inner <laughs> conflict of like, wait, is this okay? Like, I, I mean, it's ridiculous to think like you even have to ask a question like, is it okay to make money? <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's where my mindset is around money. And everyone has their own historical reasonings behind it. But, you know, the closer I got to something psychology. Like Welcome to the first episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Lindsay Padilla. And on this episode, and you'll see in the introduction, I talk a little bit about this, but I actually have my husband interview me and I wanted to share my story so people really understood Where I was coming from and why potentially I was starting this podcast, even what the academy means. We talk about what the, what the definition of the academy is. We talk about what it's like, uh, to be selling services. you know, as partial anti-capitalist coming from our background. So it's a really fantastic conversation that I get to have with my husband. And I'm so grateful for that conversation. Um, When I started my business in April of 2016, I ended up leaving in December. So in a few months, I was able to replace my teaching salary. And Derek and I decided to sell everything in May of 2017 and become house sitters, which basically allowed us to have very little Overhead. And so we've been doing that for the last nine months and really building the foundations of our business. And so that kind of brings you up to speed. Um, and then I realized that I wanted to um, start talking to academics about what I did because I found that when I left, you know, I had put this story in my head that people were going to be. Um, surprised, shocked, mad, angry uh, at me deciding to leave. And in fact, everyone was very supportive. So then I started to realize that, hey, there's probably more people like me. And if I could get their stories out there, it would encourage other people to feel confident in doing and pursuing something bigger than the Academy and being paid what they deserve for the knowledge that they've gained over the years. So without further ado, here is Derek Padilla, Dr. Derek Padilla interviewing me um, in Belgium, actually, at one of our house sits, all right, so for this first episode, right? This is my first episode. I guess second, actually, uh, because there's a little teaser thing. I don't know. That's how all the cool podcasters do it. My first episode, I wanted to actually dive a little bit into my own story. Uh, So people really got to know me and where I'm coming from and why I'm talking to all these academics who have started businesses. And I felt like the perfect person to interview me besides me just like rambling would be my husband, Derek Padilla, Hello, Dr. Derek Padilla. Yep, And he is he left with me. So this I'm curious to see where this interview goes, because I feel like I'm going to kind of turn some of the same questions back to him. So we... Both left our tenure track jobs a year ago tomorrow, and, uh, you know, just having that conversation about what this, I don't even know, like what this last year has been like, so I'm excited. So, yay!
1: All right. Well, I'm happy to get started and to interview you, Lindsay, because uh, in a little bit of the weird, I guess, way that time works in recording, um, you've done... About six podcasts already, so I've already heard all those interviews and I've oh, heard yeah. the questions. yeah, you're a little, you're yeah.
0: tapped into what we end up talking about right. every day. Yeah. yeah, so
1: I've pulled some of the common questions and added some of my own and I'm curious to see what you say and how it compares to your guests that you've had that I've already listened to, but the current listeners will probably listen to in due time. So as you get started with your episodes, could you go ahead and share what your academic journey was like and what you were doing before entrepreneurship?
0: Yeah, so I I was definitely one of those kids who always knew I wanted to be a teacher. So it it definitely comes from my early stages in childhood about getting into education. So I always knew that. Um, and I'm still in it, which is such a beautiful thing. But yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I, um, I did the whole, I'm going to teach high school thing, um, because I actually didn't really consider graduate school or teaching at that level. And um I really actually didn't consider it until I was like getting a master's. Um, And so when I did the teaching credential and I was teaching at a high school, I was teaching at the high school I grew up at, actually, where my sister was a senior. So that was fun. Um, I just had this like moment of panic at like 23 where I was like, wait, I don't want to end up here. It was like I probably one of the first moments that speaks to like some of the other decisions I made later in life. And I was just like, what do I actually want to do? And I loved sociology. I actually fell in love with teaching sociology at the high school level. And it it was by accident that I even got to teach that because my master teacher created the first sociology curriculum at the high school I grew up in. So I was like, I'm going to be a master in this and I'm going to go to school. And this is right around, well, a little bit before... um, the recession happened as well. And so there was, it was kind of what everyone was doing that was my age. So like at 23, 24, if people weren't in the jobs they wanted to be in, they went back to school. And that's a trend that continued for a little bit while, for a little while. And so I think that plays part into my story because I don't know that I wouldn't have gone, like I would have gone to grad school or thought of it as an option. And so I was getting a masters in sociology at San Diego State and I had some amazing professors amazing um some of whom are no longer with us and um I learned about teaching sociology there they were actually really supportive um as a, as in the teaching assistant program and uh unlike lots of other options around um in grad school there's not a lot of emphasis on teaching your subject there's an emphasis on research but not on teaching so i got a couple of ta gigs right in in grad school and i started to fall in love with it and then i realized that i could teach with a masters degree at community college and that was kind of the beginning of me becoming a professor and also me like really landing in a place that i felt really comfortable in which was teaching adults and not so much high school so um Yeah, man, once that happened. Well, and then Derek and I like fell in love, da da da, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, we were like in grad school, we had known each other in in undergrad as well. But then um, me being at San Diego State, he was there also getting his master's in physics. And um, so I think we got married. (laughs) So that happened. Also, I, I guess that's part of the academic journey, because he really wanted to get a PhD in physics. And I did not want to get a PhD in sociology, actually. Um, and so I kind of knew I just wanted to teach community college actually. And I was considering just being, you know, having a master's and, and teaching community college. Um, I don't remember. Well, no, I was kind of jealous that Derek was continuing school. I loved school. School was what I knew how to do. And so when he got into UC Santa Cruz, which was, I think your top choice, right? Yeah, yeah. So when he was like applying to all those places, I was like, okay, well, we're obviously living in Santa Cruz. Uh, What's around there? And I basically found this program at the University of San Francisco that I about died in reading the description. And I knew I wanted to do something around education, because that's actually what I studied when I was a master's student in sociology, was kind of the sociology of education. So that has never left me. Um, but at USF, there was this international multicultural education program with an emphasis in human rights. And it just felt like, I remember going into (laughs) Dr. Che's office and just being like, oh my gosh, this program. And, um, you know, it was, it was critical. It involved, you know, a lot of the things that I was studying in my sociology program. And I was like, I'm supposed to go here. Um, mind you, it's a private school, which that, I don't know, that plays a part, I guess, in, a, in some of what I will talk about, it, you know, over the podcast about my student loan debt um, and all of that. But it felt right um, because for those of you out there who know, so I have an uh, an EDD and I have an, so an, I think it's like an educational doctorate or something like that. And most of those programs are around, I don't know, like admin or like maybe curriculum, Um, and I just like knew in my heart that I did not want to be involved in those kind of programs. Just, it just didn't work for me. And so when I saw that there were these other programs out there, um, in education, I was like, this has to be it. I don't know how I could do it any other way. Um, and so, yeah, I was there for four years and they had this great, might've been five, actually. They had this great teacher's weekend, teaching weekends. So I actually was full-time adjuncting. So, p- full time, part time, right? Where I had a full load, um, as a part timer at like what three different schools, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I would, I was there on the weekends—Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pretty much—or well, not Sunday. So, the classes were like—I don't even remember—three hour, three and a half hours, four hours, I think—and in and these huge time blocks. And you could take three a quarter, basically, or three a semester. Um, yeah. And I graduated there in 2015, I believe. I think I, my post just came up. So wait, 2014. Three years ago today. Yeah. So um, yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit about my background. And I studied like emotions and teaching uh, in human rights education teaching happening at the community college level, which was is Pretty related, actually, to what I'm doing now, which, you know, deals with online education in the entrepreneurship space, Um, you know, kind of for profit. Um, But I don't want to use the language for profit education because I don't want it to get convoluted with things like Ashford or uh, National University, like these universities where they're promising certificate programs and charging a lot of money but there is something to be said about for profit, you know, you know, educating people and creating courses and selling them to them. So I don't know. Maybe there's another term for it. So, yeah, that's a little bit about my background. Cool. So uh,
1: knowing a little bit more detail than what you just shared, I'm interested in why um, or I guess what what is the academy to you? Is it oh, your grad school or is it the community college where you taught as a professor? um w- you stopped at USF with your story of your academic life, but I I would have thought you would have kept going into teaching community college as part of that. Do you not consider that part of the academy? Or That's or?
0: really interesting. Um, and I'm glad you're asking that question because now I could probably go deeper with some of my other, um, my guests. Um, you know, it is part of the academy, right? I, like, I obviously did a huge lit review on the community college system because that was part of what my study was. Actually, I, my study was a participatory action study. And so what that means, um, cause it's kind of a, uh, n- an uncommon, like non-traditional, uh, research method, but essentially I had other community college professors as part of the research team. It wasn't me doing research on them. We were actually co-researching. So I bring that up because, you know, I, I, I I haven't read my dissertation in a while, but there's uh, there is a lot of literature around how the community college is kind of the one of the most democratic parts of the of the academy, I guess, Uh, um, the structure of university and, you know, education. Um, And that's because it's entirely open access now, of course, it's getting less. There is more obstacles popping up for people than um, before when it used to be free. Um, And actually, California has one of the best uh, subsidized programs. So our community college system actually is a lot cheaper relatively uh, compared to other systems in the United States, other community college systems. So, you know, yeah, it is part of the system. And the, you know, when we tout college and access in education as the, ultimate um equalizer right um you know i would argue against a lot of that it's still sorting us and so those at the community college always felt like um the students felt like maybe they just didn't make it because they didn't make it getting into a four-year the professors feel like they didn't make it because they weren't researching and they're not seen as prestigious so there's a lot of like Inner dialogue that happens at the community college level I guess with with professors and with the students themselves and um, about like why they're there and it's always about getting to the next thing right like the community college is the stopping point to something else. Um, obviously, that's like a little too deep, but <laughs> it's related because it's, it, it's funny. Because yeah, what do I think about it? As the academy is the community college part of the academy, um, and it is, it's totally part of the system, and it's a stepping stone for lots of people. Um, but what I loved about the community college is that we got to focus on teaching, and um, you could do research. It wasn't like it, you know, was looked down upon in any way, shape, or form. But Your focus was teaching like, you Mm -hmm. know, you had full loads and um, your students were the important part of it. And so lots of teachers did research on the side, but it wasn't mandatory. It wasn't, you know, publish or perish at all. And I loved that uh, because I loved teaching like that's really why I was doing it. Um, I wasn't an academic because I loved research.
1: So tying this into the the entrepreneur part of your life now, you left teaching a couple years ago, maybe
0: one year, exactly,
1: (laughs) one year, exactly. (laughs) And would you still consider yourself an academic at this point? Or Uh, were you previously an academic, but you no longer are?
0: I don't know. That's so funny, because I'm just coming off of someone's podcast. And she kind of mentioned she's actually in grad school right now, like deciding to get her PhD right now, which that's crazy to me. Um, I couldn't imagine. But yeah, I've somewhat like that's that's a mindset thing for me right like i i get to define myself (laughs) in whatever way i want um and i i think part of me feels like it was a little bit of a past life um but then like i was mentioning and you'll listen to that podcast but like i it's part like i can't not be a sociologist and i can't not be an educator and be thinking about education uh critically and and um, you know, thinking about as an institution, like that it's oppressive in so many different ways and how um, me being involved in entrepreneurship has been a form of empowerment for me. So yeah, it's still in me. I, you know, I did the work, I have the, the you know, the certificates and stuff. Um, but would I consider myself like a practicing academic as if you have to be like currently wrapped up in it to call yourself one. I mean, I'm not a practicing academic um, in, in the traditional sense. I am not doing I'm not currently involved in a research project. I'm not currently teaching at a university and have students enrolled under me. Um, so, you know, if that's the definition, then I'm not.
1: Mm hmm. But I think it's important for people who are considering leaving. Yeah. What it does to your mind, you know, your your own self worth. And yeah. there is there is value in being an academic, I think, in society that's a little bit different. So, I don't know, can you speak to, you know, status and um, empowerment that Mm. you had as an academic (laughs) and how that changed as you're now an entrepreneur outside of any sort of teaching Uh, institution? Okay,
0: so we've talked about this before and yeah, and it's come up on the podcast you'll listen to in the future Um, because there, that's, so how I always looked at being a professor, I feel like when I was making the decision whenever I realized I wanted to do that for my life, that I thought that that was my thing, it felt like I hit a gold mine. It felt, and what I mean by that is, you know, being a, a professor and being an academic in some terms. So I guess it's very important to say, like us not working at a four-year institution, if your definition of academic involves you have to be doing research while you're teaching and um, that it, it isn't just the letters after your name that it's that it's um, a daily practice and a research institution, um, then I guess I don't fit your definition. But even still, I when I th- figured out that I could teach at a community college, that I could talk about a subject I loved um, and really help students, I felt like actually made them better people. I felt like when I taught sociology 101, I was actually making better humans. Um, and so... I was just so excited because it was such an it's it's a very autonomous job Um, You know, yeah, we can kind of pick our schedules Especially when you got the tenure track job, right? You had the security and you had the health care And so Derek and I both left tenure track positions Neither of us got it before we left Derek was what a year out and I think I was two So um, we left
1: like months away from it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was a year and a half and he was
0: yeah Yeah um. Yeah, to the point where Derek was leaving literally one semester ahead and was even asked, like, could I just get it anyways? But they said no. <laughs> yeah. um, so where was I going with that? Yeah, I feel like I, I hit the jackpot because I was like, oh my gosh, I can talk about a subject I love. I'm teaching and I kind of have a great schedule and a great life and I'm making money that feels good Um, and it's not going to go away and it's very stable and I have we basically had you know uh, what's it called double coverage Um, which was just like so different than how I grew up and so it was just like oh my god we made it you know that's what I felt Um, yeah so I felt like I had made it and then the The status piece comes in because it's also just a revered job. Like it's one of those jobs that has prestige and then um, is doing something good for the world. And so people like that. It's very fulfilling, you know, and that for most people, like probably, you know, 80 to 90 percent of uh, the American workforce it might even be higher, would consider themselves not in a fulfilling job. Um, I, you know, in my day to day life, I was I was changing lives and I actually felt that, Um, you know, there were ups and downs. It's not like it was so easy all the time. But, um, you know, helping someone with their education and moving forward is just like such a, a, a fulfilling job. Um, and yeah, and so you, you know, and it's like, there was this, there's this status level of being like, oh, I'm a professor and I I got a tenure track position because for so long, you know, a solid 10 years or something, it's been very, it still is. But when we were in the recession, it was really scary and hard to find work. Um, you know, as everyone out there knows, education, funding, getting cut and stuff, you know, and there's less and less tenure track positions, which is part of why this podcast exists, and I want to talk about that. Um, okay, so how does it feel for me status-wise? <sighs> um, I do miss like being like, I'm a professor, but now what's cool is it's like, I'm a professor in entrepreneurship. So whenever I introduce myself as an entrepreneur, people are like, oh, wow, you left academia. Like, interesting. You left that kind of position to do this. Um and so I get it, but it's in a, in a different way. So I definitely and I, and I I always struggled with making my students call me doctor or having any sort of doctor involvement <laughs> in in my uh, relationships in school with my students and colleagues even. And so in the online space, I pretty much operate in the same way. Um, And I don't even really talk about it. And so it's not in my name, in my title. It's in a professional, it's in a media bio I have. But other than that, I don't really talk about it. So then there's people that are like, oh my gosh, you have a doctorate? That's crazy, you know? And I started to realize how few there were in entrepreneurship, not like none, but there weren't that many. And so then I was like, oh yeah, I am a little different. And when I was first starting this and kind of, hiding in my office hours, like, taking calls and, like, declining going to meetings and basically saying I'm not showing up to professional development days because I can make more money to, at home in my office, I, I started to realize, you know, oh, uh, like, I was nervous about how people in in sco- in the school would see me, um, which... So that's like the uh, the reverse way. Like, what's the status of an entrepreneur? Like, what? And so me kind of rethinking, like, what does it mean to um, make money and, like, profit? And as a sociologist, I mean, we could talk about what I've like learned you know about that kind of stuff and so i mean without getting into it too much i mean there was definitely some things i i had to rethink about what it means to like actually make money because as a professor it's just like okay here's you know just enough money um and and you're good and we're gonna make the most stable one of the most stable jobs in the country um you know, accessible to these really smart ass people, right? And so we're kind of complacent, walking around going, "I have one of the best jobs. Don't think about doing something else." Um, and so, I the relationship between being an entrepreneur and being an academic and what that means, I feel like they both are very judgy of each other. <laughs> yeah. Like in the, I've talked about this, and, and you'll see in the interviews. But you know, a lot of entrepreneurs kind of talk a lot of. Sh- about getting a degree because it costs a lot of money and it's not the degree itself. And that's my argument. I was like, look, knowledge is great. Uh, It just shouldn't cost six figures to go through it. That's what the problem is, is how much it costs. And so from a cost, like, you know, benefit analysis, you know, an entrepreneur is like, oh, you can make a ton of money and not go to school. It's like, yes, true. uh, But do we really want to say that that's the only answer? And it's only because I think one of the main reasons is because it costs so much. So anyways, I kind of went on a little bit of a ramble, but those are kind of my thoughts around it, I guess, initial.
1: I think you came back to a point that I was going to touch upon next, which was the big question of the debt that you've accrued Mm -hmm. in your education. Yeah. And I was going to say, was it worth it? But I want to frame it a different way. Let's just work with the fact that you went through college and then grad school and you have the debt that you have. And then you have two paths. You can go into teaching or you could become an entrepreneur with oh, th- those degrees. Yeah. Would the choice have made a difference? Because you, you went into teaching and then you decided to leave it. And I think we're we work with the assumption that staying as a teacher made sense, like that made the debt worth it because mm. it led to you being this, this status, this degree holding person that could get these teaching jobs. But is that true? And, and is it even worth it if you would have stayed or since you didn't say, did it make it all of a sudden not worth it? And that's what I'm curious about.
0: That's an interesting way to look at it. So I get the degree. It costs a lot of money. And I told myself that it was that. Well, so I think a really important thing, which we have no idea that this is working. And I've seen negative. I think the 10 years has officially started. So um, I was comfortable with air quotes going into six figures of debt in a private uh, graduate institution because of public service loan forgiveness. And so I remember having this conversation with you. It's like, Shit, do I just stay like a part time, you know, teacher on the side while I'm running this business so we can pay off this debt or whatever. So I guess, and, and the the answer is I didn't decide that. Um, and I have various reasons for that. But the the question being, would going into teaching been, you know, make it worth it? And I still think think yes, because I did love that life. I mean, I was leaving, I left teaching, not because I hated it. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that talk about getting out of their nine to five, or, you know, that they're dying every day, and they can't wait to leave. And that was absolutely not the position that I was in. Um, And I loved my job. So I do think it's worth it, because you are buying, with that education, you are buying a lifestyle, Um, I just realized, you know, when I found this world, this secret world that, or what feels like it was secret, um that allowed me to be bigger than my institution. And um, starting to realize like I could do bigger things. Um, I just saw the path laid out before me, you know, the salary table. <laughs> do you remember that day mm-hmm. when we were like looking at it and we're like, oh my God, we did it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. In 20 years, we can make six figures. All right. And that was okay. Like right. I didn't know any other way. And then I'm seeing people make that in a month, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, there are other ways." Um, but what am I exchanging for that? And that's what I, I was worried about. Which, right. yeah, that's a whole other. Yeah, story.
1: I mean, the reason I framed the question the way I did is I think most people who are listening have already gone through grad school, yeah. and or are you know getting close to the end of grad school and are probably teaching or will be teaching soon. And, you know, they're they're not going to be asking the question, like, should I even, they're not in high school deciding if they should go to college or become an entrepreneur. You know, this is for people who are in the academy in some way and are trying to make that decision now. So I didn't want to frame it as like, was your educational journey worth it? Because it doesn't matter. Everyone's, I think the audience is generally at the point where they've gone through it and are now just deciding, is there a way to to leave it? And what am I leaving behind? And I I think your answer is, You still have your history and everything that you did led you to where you are now. So, of course, it's worth it because you wouldn't be who you are without that.
0: Exactly. I wouldn't be able to even be having this podcast. Right. right. It's like everything has led to this moment. That's how I've been looking at lots of things. So
1: the first so far up until now, the first half hour of this show has been looking back on what you've done and Mm -hmm. how it relates to where you are now. But let's give the audience maybe a little bit of insight into what they can do looking forward so what do you wish you knew before you left your job or before you stepped into entrepreneurship on starting a business on the side of teaching?
0: <laughs> oh, geez. Um, I wish I knew that there were other people out there like me having the same inner <laughs> Conflict of like, wait, is this okay? Like, I I mean, it's ridiculous to think like you even have to ask a question like, is it okay to make money? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's where my mindset is around money and everyone has their own, you know, historical reasonings behind it. But, you know, the closer I got to some of my colleagues, I guess being in an institution for a while, uh, to be fair, like I think uh, Tomar Johnson, like my fellow sociology professor at my institution, I remember having a conversation with him, because I think I was only there two and a half years. So I remember maybe it was one time during my first year, he was talking about his like different investments, and he owned houses. And he was looking into getting into business on this in this one thing. And I remember being like, Oh, yeah, like, you, you know, people need to make money on the side to retire and to you know and so I started to realize like oh being a professor might not be enough for a lot of people as Mm -hmm. far as income goes um standard of living wise and you know as a sociologist part of me is like oh but we have it you know way better than so many other people and um you know and so we could get into that but you know, I should be grateful for having this access. Everyone deserves this. Everyone deserves this. And I still believe that. So, um, you know, basically what I started to realize was once I learned that I could create my own money online and however, and show up in however, which way I wanted to online and create this side income, I started to realize that academics were most uh, in my head were mostly just doing it the safe way uh invest in property like start um a 5013b or whatever um you know match your employer's stock you know like be smart with your money it was this very institutional way of looking at money and um by the way I didn't even mention this part like how I got into entrepreneurship so I got in through an MLM like (laughs) like multi-level marketing for those of you who don't know what that is um It's, you know, like the products that you're seeing online. I think they're actually becoming a lot more popular. And um, I think for various reasons of ways, things that are happening in social media, I think they're becoming a little more popular than they were before. Um, But that's where I started. And then once I was like having fun with that... Um, I was embarrassed about it at first. Remember those conversations, Derek, when I was like talking about I sell shakes online and I'm working out? Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, this doesn't feel like what I should be involved in. Um, But then I just started basically of like an academic does researching what it's like to be an entrepreneur online and um i started listening to podcasts and stuff and then it was just like oh i want to sell my own thing like why would i sell somebody else's thing that i have no control over how it's marketed how they um you know their business practices and it's like i want to start a business that you know has amazing business practices that I would look up to as as a capitalist right and so that's what I was thinking about um so yeah I think I'm trying to think about
1: so you you mentioned that you wish you knew that there were other people who yeah the same way you did how how would someone go about finding those people and and getting in contact and and opening the conversation if they're thinking about leaving and doing something on the side, maybe not leaving entirely, but at least getting started?
0: Yeah. How did you
1: find them, and how how would someone search for those people?
0: So I was just living in a space of, like I mentioned, I was hiding in my office, right? Uh, Not going to meetings and secretly holding sales calls, you know, um, in, you know, technically on their pay, like in some times it was during my office hours, like (laughs) if anyone's listening, that happened. Um, But I think... I think I just went in going like, oh, there's I don't even know that I thought about it. Like, I just was like, I'm going to do this. And then I, you know, started to be like, oh, I'm a professor. Oh, you know, it fit my business. So we should get into just a, a. for those of you who don't know me or haven't seen me online. You know, I actually started with my obsession in education and I've been teaching for six years Uh, Online. Um, I've always had an online class as a professor. I realized that entrepreneurs did not know how to teach. So I was like, oh, I could totally help them do this. Um, So when that became my business model and that was like my messaging, like being a professor was actually a huge part of that. Like people were like, well, of course I want a professor (laughs) who studied education to help me with my course. And That's when I started being more vocal about it. And then as a result, more academic folks started showing up, people with art degrees and history degrees and um, a ton of psychologists, man. There are a lot of psychologists in this space. Um, And so then I started to realize, oh, I'm kind of attracting this person, these type of people that have advanced degrees. Um, And so I wasn't actively searching for it. I was more thinking that I was this anomaly and that no one's doing this because why would anyone make this crazy decision? <laughs> and so then I, I like stumbled into it. And then I, you know, with starting Academics Mean Business, I mean, I when I first was starting business, I was thinking about. One of the first people who I will definitely be interviewing, Uh, we still haven't booked it yet, but she was one of the first people I met online, Amy Walsh, and she was an art professor uh, struggling getting her, you know, uh, part time work and um, and she'll share her story specifically. But we met and we just instantly connected because we knew like we were teaching you know students we knew we knew that story i knew what it was like to be a a, a part time professor so once i realized that i was like oh it's so i feel so home talking about with these kind of people so we both were like man if adjuncts only knew, like people who, if they only knew that they could make money on the internet with their skill set, like we should help them. And that was a year and a half ago. And so it wasn't until recently that I got a push from a, bus- a big business name who was basically telling me, like, you need to talk to people about this. Then it started to become like, you're right. And so I started looking, um, and some of you listening may find me through this way, but there are especially on Twitter. Um, academics love their Twitter, which I was active a long time ago uh, when I was teaching, but not so much in entrepreneurship. It's a little bit harder of a platform for entrepreneurs because there's easier ways. <laughs> but uh, I know of professors, that's where they're at. And the um, hashtags like, uh, what is it? post ac alt-acc, uh, PhD. What is it? With a PhD hashtag, which it just shows like the different types of work people are doing with degrees. And those hashtags are a community of people that are doing things you know maybe outside of the academy after the academy so that's one place i know of now but again retrospectively so i really wanted to get out there these stories of of freelancers really of of solo entrepreneurs of small, you know, in that are, it's like them and they're offering a service um, because I think there's a lot of discussion around STEM people having a PhD and then going into a uh, corporate like Derek, right? You mm-hmm. had that as an option. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of social scientists really see themselves getting hired by corporations as, as common, right? Depending on your type of social science research. But, um, and so uh, I started to realize there's actually a gap. Like, there's not a lot of people talking about how I did it and the way I did it. And there isn't a lot of overhead. And so I want to talk about that. And there isn't this, you know... Interview process, you don't have to redo your CV. You know, it's literally you just starting to take money from people online <laughs> and how easy it is to get that going. Um, and I just wanted to like, you know, represent to people the skills that we bring in as entrepreneurs are needed in this space so much. And you'll hear that through the stories of the people I interview.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you touched on this a little bit, and this is a little bit getting back to mindset, but. I think it would be safe to say we're pretty anti capitalist yeah. but yet here we are running a <laughs> business and working from capitalist principles and you know trying to maximize profits. Um, how does your i your your views of capitalism mm-hmm. fit in with being a small business owner, and how is it different from being in the academy being a teacher
0: yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I think being a Professor, being a teacher in the academy, you know you're surrounded by a lot of progressives and liberals, and and that conversation. And now I've opened up to this space where it might be tilted the other way. Not not really, not entirely. Like I have found, there are ac- a, uh, anti-capitalist money coaches online. So um, you know. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of talk uh, around social justice and um, entrepreneurship as well. You have to find these the pockets exist, but let's just be frank the pop that those are p- small pockets um compared to the larger conversation that happens around entrepreneurship um, definitely a lot of libertarian uh kind of let everyone do their own thing um i think is a part of entrepreneurship so yeah I think it's it's been a it's actually rounded my, my views in a, in a, how do I say this? Like it's, um, it's, it's opened me up to other ways of thinking, but in, in a different way than it would have happened in a classroom. Like, you know, I obviously had students that, um, didn't, uh, you know, see the world in the way I did, but in the way I taught it, um, you know, opened their mind a little bit, to things that they hadn't considered. But when I think about like making money online and running a business, um, you know, it's impacting me in a different way. Um, but I'll say this because I remember I remember my grandparents when I was going to be a professor and like, you know, obviously talking uh, various election <laughs> discussions. Um Particularly around Obama and not so much around Trump. I think that's a whole other conversation. But when that was happening, the ideas around you know the ideals of socialism was part of the conversation. I remember my grandma being like, "Oh, well, when you start making money, you'll think differently about taxes and health care and that kind of stuff." And as somebody who now is you know being taxed in a totally different way, and we're learning about that, um, I actually still have the same views. <laughs> like I don't agree with that sentiment that oh just because you make money means you don't want to give it up um, and I don't think that that's true so and I don't think that you have to think that that's true to be a good um, business owner so there's some cool stuff happening in this in 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 business now because we get to control what we do with our profits we get to control what we who we hire and why and how we support them right and so that's where I see that coming in like what would my feminist anti capitalists do or you know in my hiring process like where does my money go um who am I hiring um who you know that kind of stuff and so and um you know there's there's people like there's stuff out there that um, is challenging the very like patriarchal capitalists white supremacist <laughs> um, you know perspective of of what I what that meant to me like profiting what that meant because I think it is wrapped up in very patriarchal white supremacist like um, stuff so there we have to challenge that so e- e- I think I'm like recording this on the tail end of cards against humanity giving a thousand dollars to their um le- least earning uh customers um they mailed checks out to them like that's the kind of shit that i want to get involved in right like i like why not right um you know that's we can if that's the thing that i I see the power of academics going into business because we would hold some of the ideals that we have as academics. If we bring it into a capitalist space, like you can do capitalism differently. Now, I'm not... This is still capitalism. I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, because it is (laughs) it 100% is. But as far as like redistributing wealth and, you know, what do what do Derek and I envision our life looking like? Like, how much money do we need? I actually had a marketer who I now have invested in his mastermind because I never heard anyone say this before but his whole per, like concept too is you know a lot of people talk about oh donating 10% or 1% of your income or 10% to a charity and i have feelings and thoughts about that but he actually said well what is the 10 what is what do we need to live my family and 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 then what? It, so let's say that's ten percent of my revenue, and then I can give away the other ninety percent. And I was like, "Whoa! Like I never thought about that." So let's say Derek and I need a million dollars in revenue to survive. With you know, when we take our payment and we're living the life we want to live and we um, feel comfortable, um, how do we scale our business so that we can give more and create a bigger impact in the world? Now that's the kind of conversation I want to have around this. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who, when, you know, some of them get pretty extreme and say things like entrepreneurs are the only people making change in the world. And I completely Mm -hmm. disagree, but um, there is something to be said about entrepreneurs having the time and the resources and the ability to make a change in higher percentages and numbers than the general workforce is like like so if you're working 9 to 5 um and you have a job and you have a salary and you're in the whole like you know buy sell capitalist cycle right of like feel bad about yourself watch something on TV want to buy it buy it now you're in debt and you have to work right so that's the whole like cycle so being an entrepreneur really takes you out of that cycle because i mean from just a real life perspective, I wake up one day and it's kind of like, I don't feel like doing this service anymore or offering this service and selling this thing. I would like to make a new thing and sell this and like, I feel so much more in control of how I want to feel and how I want to be in the world than I did as a professor, where, yes, I could wake up and say I'm doing good work and I love the connection I have with my students, but you know, more and more, uh, the institution w- is taking more, you know, putting more on our shoulders and not paying us, res- like, in comparison for adding that stuff. We all know this. Like, I was on the union, you know, I was a lead negotiator um, at both, well, at one school, and then I was on the negotiation, um, or sorry, just in the union for the second school. But So I know like what it's like, what what is happening with our workloads and our quality of life as a result of that. And it's being chipped away. And so entrepreneurship actually like represents me reclaiming my skills and my creativity and my, what my experience and, and, you know, yes, exchanging money for it out in the open, you know, market. um, But I'm in control of how that happens. Like I get to decide who's hired and how much I pay them and what my work schedule looks like. And I've never felt like that before. And so, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs talk about freedom as their goal, and it's true. Um, So an academic with our knowledge, knowledge and skill set and research and experience coming into this world. Like, man, what does a rich academic look like? (laughs) Like, what what is a wealthy like even just saying the word rich academic kind of is like triggering for me a little bit. But it's true. Like, what is a rich, well-educated, over-educated in some cases person um, with control of resources um, doing in this world? You
1: mentioned a little bit earlier um, the value that academics bring to the business space. What what kind of skills are valued by businesses in, yeah. in being being what we call a solopreneur?
0: Yeah. Oh man. Um, and I, you know, I'm taking some of this even from my guests. You know, mm-hmm. having interviewed lots of people now, but. Um, Well, I laugh at this because it's something I'm currently struggling with at the moment, but the fact that I've done it before in my life is a positive, but discipline.
1: discipline, (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah. Like, you know, you have a dissertation to write and you have only so many, you know, back to this idea of time, energy, you know, hours or whatever. Um, The fact that you sat down and, and made this, you know, like massive project happen and the project management skills that go into that. I mean, that is business, right? So, um, you know, being like, I have this goal, it is to graduate, it's to, you know, pass my dissertation, pass my defense. And um, so what do I need to do to accomplish that? Okay, it involves writing this much and this many times, you know, this many hours a week. And so you just have to plan it. Um, So that's one thing I think there, I think the visionary, big picture thinking, which I, I to be fair, like lots of academics are they are the opposite, <laughs> like more detail oriented, but I'm definitely more big picture, I think, as a sociologist too. but I see patterns. I see things people don't see, and I can I, you know I have this like eye for cultural, you know, messages and um uh patterns i guess so it, which has p- fared well for me i guess in marketing which is something i never thought i would be involved in in my life um but uh the the ability to really analyze and create frameworks and 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 exactly collect information to explain what's going on that is so needed in a service based Uh, Knowledge info product is what we call it in this space uh, type of industry. So people are trying to communicate and they are selling what they know, uh, which is teaching, and they're turning around and selling it and creating these products for it. And so you have to kind of come up with your own framework and way of doing it and way of teaching it. And that's literally at the core of what running um, uh, in my where I'm at right now in the space I'm at, which is like coaches, um, service based entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs where they're providing a service for somebody that's what you do that's how you become you know what they say in the industry they call it a quote-unquote thought leader Um, (laughs) but I think academics you know are kind of like the OG thought leaders right and so for those of you who have been in this space and are listening as a current um, entrepreneur, um, you know what I'm talking about. This word thought leader" gets thrown around a lot, but it's basically being seen as the go-to person in your industry or in your niche. So, you know, me, I want to be seen as the teacher of teachers in uh, entrepreneurship. So I'm helping people teach better um, in their businesses. Um, Other people want to be seen as Facebook ads people, as um, brand experts, as marketing experts, as, you know, people who, I don't email campaigns. I mean, there's so many different like specialties. So you get known as a thought leader when you kind of come up with a way of talking about what is going on with your service or your um, uh, offer that you <laughs> offer people in the world. So academics are natural at that. I mean, that to me, I was like, oh, I got this. I know exactly what I'm doing. Right. So I'm developing my own framework for teaching online. Why wouldn't I? Right. Um. So I think those are my top few, which is like project management skills, discipline in that sense. And, um, you know, being able to do high level thinking that really organizes thought and then turns around and communicates it to other people. I think we, we all have that in us as academics.
1: Can you touch upon something that comes up in academic work a lot and then also in the business world a lot is um, imposter syndrome?
0: Oh yeah okay, so okay, so in academic in academic the academic world, obviously it's like, am I good enough to be a researcher um, am I good enough um, is my ideas and my um research good enough? I mean that comes up all the time, and it comes up in teaching um and so then in entrepreneurship, it's similar but like different so or or maybe as an academic who's experienced imposter syndrome in both <laughs> um in in entrepreneurship it's, there's something about the the academic track, that roadmap, that journey, that path that is laid out for us, really, right? Like, here are the steps and the orders. Like, yes, you might end up at a community college, or you might up at a, you know, an R1, you know, institution, and like, you know, be revered and writing crazy mainstream books. Like, there's obviously different, like, levels of it, but the, the path is essentially the same. Um, and... Uh, it's just depending on whatever prestige and stuff. So you go through that path, and you the end is, I guess, to become a professor in some way, shape, or form. But in entrepreneurship, the really the path is so much more varied, and so I think on a day to day basis. In, entrep- in in academia, it's like, I kind of knew what I was supposed to do. Like, there isn't really doing it differently. I mean, there are in some respects, but generally speaking, it's just the same thing for everybody. But in entrepreneurship it's just not at all. And so the imposter syndrome comes in such different ways because it's like, no one knows what they're doing, (laughs) which I think we Derek says that to me almost every day um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can limit yourself by thinking, Oh, this entrepreneur who's making six figures a month um, is doing it this way. Like, Oh my gosh, how are they doing it? And it's like, no one knows what they're doing. I just have to keep reminding myself, like everyone's experimenting. Um, And so in academia, uh, it's like, I still remember thinking, oh my God, no one knows anything, <laughs> but it's like, it's, and it's hidden in the same way, I guess, that it is an entrepreneurship. Like no one wants to admit that they don't know what they're doing, but I think the vulnerability is way more open in entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. um, or maybe it's hitting a new market because I haven't been doing this for very long. And so I could say that the industry is maturing. Um, but yeah, there's people being a lot more honest about revenue versus profit, like what they're actually taking home and if they're bragging about numbers and where it's all coming from. I mean that's important. But I guess when it comes to imposter syndrome, like everyone thinks like, oh my gosh, I'm not making $10,000 a month. Therefore, I'm not there yet. Um, and in, in entrepreneurship, it's all about these revenue numbers monthly, essentially. And then, oh, I have a million dollar business. Like, what does that actually mean? <laughs> so the imposter syndrome comes in and it's tied to your revenue, which I think is interesting. Um I'm trying to figure out if I which one is more imposter worse is imposter syndrome. And part of me thinks it's entrepreneurship because once you get out of your grad school program and once you land your job, you feel like, okay, like I made it. Now, but then the day-to-day things you do in teaching. there's not that much stuff that's at risk so it doesn't haunt you as much but again this is coming from somebody who was not at a research institution so <laughs> I know that if you' are research uh, you're writing and you're researching um, as part of your job then I'm sure it's a lot worse for you so I, I'm you know I'm acknowledging that I know it is um, I but the job that I created for myself because I didn't like that um, and then maybe that's part of it part of the reason why but um, I didn't feel it as much. Like I was like, I'm a fucking good teacher. Like I knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just stayed with that. Um, I guess it was some, sometimes I would want, I would question like the experimentally like experimental teaching styles I would do. And sometimes I'm like, dude, I could get fired <laughs> <laughs> like if someone wanted to. Um, but yeah, in entrepreneurship, it's the risk is there. So like on a day to day basis, you're like waking up and you're like, duh, do I go like, how do I make money? Or we self-sabotage in so many ways, but we're tied to our income and our revenue. Like it's us <laughs> hands down only thing. Mm-hmm. So the imposter syndrome, it's like almost everywhere, almost constant. Um, so yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I, I have one final question and I think it's, uh, an actionable one. What, what, step one step would you tell someone to take if they're thinking of getting started say they're a grad student just deciding what to do with their life and they're deciding about online entrepreneurship or they're currently a teacher and they're looking to get started on something on the side what's one actionable step they can take not the actionable step to not you know to take some pressure off of your answer but just just one thing they can do to take make a step towards being a business owner online
0: Mm. I mean, I just think about my first step. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, I think my first step... Um, that planted the seed that I could start my own thing and not be involved with an MLM um, was listening to podcasts. Mm. Um, You know, there is a bunch of great podcasts out there. um, And for those of you, like Derek mentioned, of what we're good at is consuming information for a while and then being able to be like, okay, this is the next step. So I, on my drive to work, I had a 45-minute commute each way. Um, I actually loved that commute. It wasn't in traffic. Um, I listened to podcasts. Oh my gosh, I probably consumed more information than I ever have in, in even all my graduate work. Um, so I was listening to a lot. And then I was realizing I woke up one day and it's like, cool, I consumed a bunch of stuff and didn't really do anything yet. And then it was from there. It's like, okay, now I need to stop listening to the podcast because, you know, one day it's like how to do Facebook ads. The next day is like start a YouTube channel. Like, you know, we, you can't do all of it at once. So what podcasts uh, would you yeah, recommend people listen to? Yeah. So some of to? the best um, ones right now, I guess it depends on what you're interested in. If you're interested in starting like um, a business somewhat like mine in the service industry, um, Amy Porterfield's podcast is pretty great. She's a social media a marketer. Um, so I would go, someone like Amy Porterfield would be fantastic. Uh, Pat Flynn is a very famous um, podcaster. Um, and I think it's called Smart Passive Income, which, and some of the early episodes, you'll see that they've kind of changed a little bit too. Um, and so you can like, I would suggest looking at Their episode list and really kind of think about like instead of just turning it on and listening to the first one Um, I would just look at their episode list and see it like because there's going to be some in there that are like how to get started um So, you know, those are two of the top. Um I would even say like really open ones. What's the one? I think it's an npr one about how how it how it how things not how things work Hmm. um Shoot. I don't know. I can maybe add this in later or I'll put it in the show notes cuz I'm just going to look it up but it's it's basically like how people got started. So Uh-oh. they just had and it's all entrepreneurs, right? So Instagram, you know what I mean, like yeah. how Instagram got started um or or like th- them as a business. And I think that's kind of cool. Like if you're in kind of like NPR style podcasts and, and you just want to get a feel for like businesses, um, startups. I I think that's cool. And I, I obviously started to love shark tank as well. (laughs) Um, and that that's later though. Um, but I think there's ways to, yeah, get acquainted with, um, with business. Um, and then joining some Facebook groups I think are also really helpful. I'm definitely going to be starting when it has doesn't exist. It might have the same title, but um I'm that's like where I really started to build community and meet these other professors starting businesses in Facebook groups. In Facebook groups. Yeah. Um and they they tend to be around business, you know? Um and so you you can kind of get a feel for the culture, the environment. Um,
1: so you mentioned a term, and I'm not sure everyone's familiar with it. You said if you're starting a business in the service industry, yeah. what, what is the service industry? What are some examples? of some services? Examples, What's
0: your service? So my service um, right now, it's it's changed, but mm-hmm. we did course creation. Um, we had a, we still do have a course creation agency, but basically, a lot of entrepreneurs sell digital products um, to the masses um, as a way to as to create an income stream. And, like PDF
1: worksheets, like um, courses, yeah, things online that people can learn from.
0: Exactly, like Blackboard. You'll you'll be excited to find that people are paying for things like Blackboard. Not like <laughs> Blackboard, actually, but anyways, you'll, it'll be interesting. That I thought was interesting. Um, so, yeah, so, y- you know, the service that we provided was we helped people with their courses. So sometimes we'd help them outline them. Um, now we've kind of narrowed it down and got a little more streamlined in our process, and now we do. Uh, reviews like course audits. So we'll take content someone's already taught and we'll just give them some tweaks, some ways to make it a little bit better, make it a little bit clearer for the student. And then I'm also launching um, I'm in the process of and have our first clients, a TA agency, <laughs> which is very related to college. Um, but there's these courses that people are running and they're actually having, um, you know, they're overwhelmed with supporting their students and making sure their questions are getting answered. And so some people have thousands and thousands of students, um, you know, the MOOC, MOOC, Movement. If you're in education, you know what I'm talking about. Well, that is happening too when people are charging for information and there's a lot of people being left behind that are paying money to be in these courses. So they're not free. They're not open access. uh, They're paying and they're not getting results. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are kind of hoping to change a lot of that with this new service. So Um, Those are and then there's things like coaching, lots of different ways of coaching, like life coaching or um, uh, health coaching, uh, marketing, you know, business coaching, how I can help you start a business. And so that as a service, um, what you can, you know, do is you're basically taking your life experiences and you're helping guide someone through, you know, what they need to be what they need to move forward so uh coaching is an example there's also a lot of spiritual work um obviously um that kind of work um, has been around for a long time, right? So, uh, doing spiritual work in, in different ways, and um, I'm trying to think of what other services. Like, what kind of inco- well,
1: I think if if you're someone that's really comfortable with numbers, you can get into Facebook advertising and help people do their yeah. ads. Um, you know that Facebook teaches there how is to some do data ads, analysis, and if, yeah. if you're good with numbers and and comfortable absorbing a bunch of data and taking action based on that, Facebook ads people pay a lot of money to help run their Facebook mm-hmm. ads. Um, if you're a writer, people always need copywriting services and editing and editing. Yeah. So so you can start a business being a copywriter and then you can build agency models where you hire other writers and you're the face of it, but you have other people doing the actual copywriting for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: so service and then there's like done for you type stuff where Mm -hmm. you do it for you, but like, there's also the creative stuff, right? Like, so graphic design, Mm -hmm. um, web, like websites. I mean, literally everything. Photography yeah video editing um, podcast editing uh you know so that when i say service i mean it's it's you know
1: yeah what's not service mm.
0: so product product based there's you know i'm seeing a lot more entrepreneurs doing both Mm -hmm. but you know you know amazon dropship you know e-com stuff Mm -hmm. you know t-shirts um that kind of stuff, the box, the subscription box stuff is like so Mm -hmm. huge right now. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, when I was first starting, that seemed just like monumental to like, you know, find a product, get it out there. Like there's overhead involved. Whereas if you have a service, you can just literally not even have a website, just start talking about it in social media and say, Hey, I could help people with this. And then people give you money like (laughs) here, PayPal me. So you're not going out and, you know, taking out business loans to really get some of your first clients. Um, but products are a big thing too. And I think, um, you know, getting on Amazon and stuff like that, that that is another way of doing business um, that I would say is important. I'm trying to think if there's another one. So product, e service, coach-based industries. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think
1: a lot of psychology people go into the coaching. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You'll see most, a lot of people that I interview, um, which is interesting. And I have some theories on that too. I was left as a sociologist. They're, they're kind of like our. Sister, I don't know. They probably wouldn't say that, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but um, they they're used to starting their own practices, right? Uh, right? Private practice. So a lot of psychologists start a private practice, and then they're like, "Oh, cool!" And then they're like, "How do I go online?" That's what I'm seeing is an influx of psychologists into the space. So I think they're kind of used to starting a business. Not the same for sociology. You don't open a sociology practice. Right. So um, you're not you're not around the business space with your degree.
1: Yeah. Well, good. I think that was a nice introduction to the that space. Was long.
0: It was good, though. Yeah.
1: Going into details of the mindset and, and, yes. and opportunities and differences between being a teacher and working in an academic institution and being a solopreneur. Online, I feel by like yourself. we
0: could almost every question you ask me could be its own episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably, we could have spent yeah an hour on each one.
0: Easily. Yeah, easily, yeah. and maybe that's something we'll do in the future. So, <laughs> you know, if you're listening to this in more to the, detail, yeah, let us know what you want to hear us talk about. Like, I may do non-interview, or I may bring in certain people to have those kind of discussions. That could be really fun too. So, mm-hmm. I'm I'm open to see what people want to hear um, and what they want to talk about because I think these conversations are really important.
1: Well, I think it's assumed that people listening already know where to find you. But in case they stumbled upon this episode by itself, standalone, where could people learn more about you and what you do?
0: Yeah, dude. This, so uh, <laughs> I love these questions. Good time. Did you think you'd stump me on this one? Yeah. I mean, so I yeah, have a website. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah, I have a website. And it's lindsaympadilla.com, which you'll see in the show links or whatever. Lindsay with an A-Y. Lindsay with an M- A-Y and the middle name initial. Dude, I lost my URL. I used to... Ha- own that as a teacher, com, And mm-hmm. I was running it on what was that website called? Weebly. Mm. Oh my God, I was like one of the first professors to have a website that looked nice. Um, it was fun. And then I let it go. <laughs> and yeah. Now I don't own it anymore, um, which is sad. So uh, yeah, I had to use my middle initial. Um, but anyways, part of the hesitation was like, Oh, I kind of run two businesses. Like I have this, or like I have two things I'm doing, like this academics mean business is bigger than me. And so me sending you to my own like website that's on course creation right now feels a little odd, but I, I think that is going to be the ultimate home of both of these things because, mm-hmm. so um, you, and so your,
1: your goal is to help people who are trying to make the transition from academia into running a business and you're Going to help people do that. I so think can, so.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I, I, um, I'm starting to work with some clients right now, but I think
1: at this stage you want to get people in, in conversation. I with want people to talk to and each with other. You and yes. Just, yeah. So,
0: um, there's going to be a Facebook group. I don't have the name of it or the URL, but um, it'll be in the show notes by the time I don't mm-hmm. know this is released. I guess.
1: Um. And if you have a course already, we have services. I say we, but it's Lindsay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that help people. Yeah, with their currently existing courses. Yeah. And, and both, both people, both types of people can get in contact through the website and then probably your Facebook page, right? Like that's the main my way My Facebook page,
0: yeah. My, I guess my hesitation is, am I starting a Facebook page around academics, main business? And I have no idea. Well, either again. way,
1: I mean, you are you on Facebook, <laughs> so they can, <laughs> you can find, they can me find there. you. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, totally. And LinkedIn, I'm, of course, LinkedIn, oh, yeah. that's yeah. my new kind of thing too. So yep.
1: Lindsay Padilla, oh, so L-I-N-D-S-A-Y and then... P-A-D-I-L-L-A. Padilla like tortilla.
0: Padilla like tortilla, not burrito. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, thanks so much. That was fun. Yeah, it was good. I think I want to have you on as a separate interview because I want to ask more stuff. Okay. I think that (laughs) would be fun. Sounds good. Yeah. When you launch your physics uh, stuff.
1: Yeah. Yes. That's perfect.
0: So now you have to prove yourself Uh, as an entrepreneur. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. We'll